Well, it's supposed to be the slow time of year, and uh, in terms of event coverage, it certainly is. But in terms of newsworthy things that we've been talking about, particularly on the business angle here on Nuanas Now, it seems like the news never stops. Uh, Justin Angle joins us once a week. Uh, well, I guess lately it's Feels been like more like once a week. A week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's been so much news coming out. So uh, we'll start. We've had a text thread going all summer long, and we've had all sorts of different things land in this text thread. But the first one that popped up, Justin, is the map of all the Division One colleges that I sent right, you. Right. I actually thought that that was very uh, revelatory because it sort of speaks to all of these things we've been talking about. What is the status of athletics in the West, particularly football in the West? If you look at this picture, we'll put it on Twitter as well as you listen to this. Basically, like 85% of all the schools that have Division One athletics are west of the, or east of the Mississippi, excuse sure. me. It, it's just nothing on the left side of the map. And then unbelievable number of logos here on the right side of the map. And I think that's why you know, conference realignment and what the future of the FBS is, what the future of the FCS is. It's all huge talking points, but it's completely accentuated out west because out west there's only three D one college or three D one conferences. So when you look at this map, it sort of puts it into perspective. Yeah, I mean some of that um is a little misrepresented by just the the landscape a little bit. Like when you look at, you know, on election night, the voter distribution by geography and you see a ton of red on the map and you see little blue but then you see the democratic candidate ahead it's not necessarily based you know sure. the, a, a geographic representation of population um or voting is is not necessarily accurate and so if you somehow adjusted that map to reflect population density and number of universities in general I think it would look a little bit more balanced that said I mean west coast bias particularly in 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 sort of college football rankings historically has been a big topic of conversation. I would say probably the rankings are more robust now in that they include a lot more um, sort of unbiased measures rather than just sports writers voting and so forth or coaches voting. But yeah, I mean, the concentration of the number of D1 programs out east in the Midwest is pretty striking. And we sort of see that um, reflected in a lot of the power dynamics with these conferences recently. The Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. We expected, as we sit here on July 10th, we expected to be talking about certain dominoes falling. Yeah. Well, uh, the domino that we thought was going to fall was San Diego State. And the reason that the date matters is because it was supposed to be on June 30th. That's when the fiscal year for many businesses, but also uh, sort of Division One athletics, most contracts for Division One athletic departments run year to year. Coaches get multi-year contracts, but a lot of administrators and various people that work at athletic departments, they're on year-to-year contracts that run through June 3rd. Is that similar to the university as well, or how does that work? Uh, the University of Montana runs on a June 30th yeah, to June 30th right. uh, fiscal year. Um, and it's it sort of, I don't see much rhyme or reason to how that um, <laughs> right. business practice is done or not done. Uh, I've been in private businesses and nonprofits that go on a calendar year and others that go on a on a mid-year fiscal year. And it's, it's uh, I don't really understand. I, I guess in the sense of a university, maybe it it maps on to the operating rhythm of the academic calendar a little bit more cleanly um, as far as, you know, 
onboarding adjunct faculty or people that teach on a contract for the academic year. So maybe it fits there. I don't exactly know. Well, San Diego State basically wrote uh, a divorce letter right. from the Mountain right. West, said, hey, we're out. We don't know where we're going, uh, but see you later. And the Mountain West came back and said, okay, well, you must tell us by June 30th yep. if you're what, what you're doing. And so then San Diego State comes back and says, we actually don't want to leave. They wrote another letter, you know, get yeah. back together with me. Just we're not, tear that up. Just we're tear not that breaking up. up. And then happened. the Mountain West said, well, sorry, but the deadline's here and gone, and uh, now you owe $17 million. So uh, not, not a great uh, logistical move, at least, by San Diego State. At least it appears on the surface. Yeah, and, and this this kind of back and forth baffles me a little bit. I mean, I get that they had to inform the conference of their intention to leave before some deadline to avoid having to do this payout, but that's a big bluff if you don't have a plan wrapped up. For sure. I mean, the plan was that they would enter a higher level conference, right? They were going to enter the Pac-12. Was that kind of the rumor? Right. And... It sounds like that must have fallen through. Mm-hmm. And that's a risky play for an athletic de- director, a university president, to leave your existing situation without having your new situation totally dialed in. This is a speculative question. I don't know if we actually know the answer to it. But but it would there be any advantageous reason for San Diego State to declare that they were leaving without having a place to go? I couldn't really I don't think, think of it. I don't think specific to San Diego State. You know, it, it, it might make sense if you're maybe like in Alabama or or right. Alabama is not even a great example. Uh, what I'm trying to suggest is like there are schools that can operate without a conference a la Notre Dame. Sure. Right. And they've, they've kind of have this this brand power and this right. unique right. U- unique um, sort of mind share amongst the college sports fan. That allows them to do that. San Diego State doesn't have any of that, right? Right. So the case to sort of leave your existing home without having a new home doesn't make any sense to me. Right. If, if This would have made more sense if this was Washington or Oregon. I'm not necessarily sure. saying they have the aptitude to go independent, but probably higher than San Diego State, certainly. But if they were saying, hey, we're up for grabs, we're declaring free agency, basically. We're out from the Pac-12. We want in on this big deal. Who's going to give us more, the Big Ten or the SEC? That would have made more sense than this. Uh, you have to wonder maybe if it was about the timing of of exiting as well because there's this deal where uh, it was going to be $17 million to leave, but then if they missed the deadline, it was going to double in, in cost. But now it seems like they're going to be on the hook for millions of dollars either way, and now they're sort of r- r- trying to re-enter this disgruntled conference that they left. And those are big dollar amounts. I mean, $17 million for... Yes, it's a university within the California state system, right? So they do have right. resources, um, but those are real dollars. And for a school the size of San Diego State, making those kind of dollars up through the revenue sources that they have is a tall order. It's not like an SEC school or a Pac-12 school or you know, some of the major schools that have the ability, you know, 17 million could be a rounding error on a media contract. In, in the case of San Diego State, that's that's meaningful. I mean, that could have material effect on the institution. 
as the world turns. We'll see. The reason we are compelled by this, because if somebody leaves the Mountain West, that's going to be a domino that then falls, and who knows? Is, it, is, is that a spot that North Dakota State ju- tries to jump to? Is that a spot that Montana and or Montana State could be in the mix in? It, it's certainly going to affect uh, FCS programs out West. Yeah, and it will affect the institution as well. I mean, a president could lose their job over something like this. An athletic director could lose their job. I mean, this is... It'll be interesting to see what reporting comes out and how accurate that reporting is of what actually transpired here because somebody made a big mistake or misjudged the situation in a a big way. Speaking of uh, reporting... The Business Angle here on Nuan is now ESPN Radio. Uh, Justin Angle joining us uh, as he does a couple times a month, presented by Blackfoot Communications. The um, it's a, I've never actually had anything in my career like this where we've had these broad topics that keep gaining legs. <laughs> Usually some newsworthy stuff, it runs out of steam and then we kind of forget about it because more newsworthy stuff comes to the surface. But whether it's conference realignment or name, image, and likeness or um, the... The concept of sports washing and all of its attachments to the the live and the PGA and F1, or, or now to this ever evolving journalism world, that all of these topics keep on going. We've talked a lot about independent journalism outlets, and as particularly when it comes to sports. Well, now the big news of the week again: uh, the New York Times disbanding its sports department yeah. uh, in the name of basically having the athletic cover it. But the athletic is not the athletic of old. It's the athletic of new. They have mm. since sold to a venture capitalist firm and now uh, being acquired by the New York Times. And it's just amazing how this whole thing happened. They were supposed to be this valiant effort to maintain independent journalism, and then they became corporatized, and it's just a very weird thing that's happened. Well, yeah, there's there's a lot within that, and I think that... It makes sense that the New York Times would shutter its own sports reporting um, mechanism because they sort of have that duplicated function with the athletic to to a large degree. This is also union busting, I think. It could be. I mean, there's that ripple as well. They certainly have a a news gathering sort of guild, and uh, that's one of the uh, sort of impetuses for this, at least speculatively. And. You know, the New York Times has always had sort of bizarre kind of sports coverage. They cover the New York teams, like, beat style. Mm -hmm. But the New York Times is not really a local newspaper. That's right. It's the paper of record, right? And and so, yeah, they do provide local coverage of the, the New York mayor and New York politics. Some of that has national Resonance. Sure. Some of you know the New York Yan- Yankees certainly have national resonance in most years, um, but it is a little bit weird to like re- go and check out the box score for the Yankees game in the New York Times. I think there's better that there's more natural fits for that. Sure. And the sort of sports coverage that they did is is I appreciate it. It kind of pulls the lens back and covers some meta issues in in, in sport, and you see you know those sorts of topics covered from a different sensibility. And I'll miss that. Hopefully that is still represented somewhat in in some of the the reporting that the Atlantic, I'm sorry, that the Athletic continues to do. And I think some of that work has been really good in the the life story of the Athletic. Hopefully it continues. But as you said, they've also kind of, the Athletic has kind of dumbed down um, their production model as well. So we'll see where it lands. It's... uh it's intriguing, it's interesting, and it's also, just in, in the romantic view of it all, it's sort of depressing because 
you, you, I just always rooted on the athletic from afar because I just sure. loved the concept of it. And now it just seems as if now, once again, the almighty dollar has won out in this one. Well, I mean, I think the basic question is, like, what is the sustainable revenue model for journalism? That's right. Right? It goes back to this, like, original sin of our information economy. It's been supported by advertising since day one. Um, there have been moments in history where that was a very lucrative model and a very sustainable model and one that had enough of a sort of firewall between the revenue side of the house and the journalism side of the house in order to allow for quality journalism, independent journalism. That model appears to be as stressed as I've seen it during the, the time during which I've been paying attention. Um, and it's unclear that the subscriber model is the way out of it. We'll see where it goes. It's a... Uh it's a conflict for us all the time as well because I mean we're the, as you listen here on Nuanas now this is a a show that um, makes the vast majority of its revenue via advertising as you listen along we have sponsors for every single segment yeah on this like show. we got to be careful not to bite the hands that are feeding <laughs> no, us here totally uh, we are so lucky I I, I always consider this because I, I I analyze this a lot I feel very lucky to be working in a in terms of the radio and, and podcasting where uh, the format is more directly applicable to the advertising model just because most of you here that are listening you're here for good conversation you're good for good here for good analysis we're not necessarily this is journalism but it's not hard journalism reporting it's more the analysis of stuff that's already being sure. reported yep. on right that's a little bit more applicable to the advertising model also and we have a, a pretty steadfast um thought at Missoula Broadcasting Company, we never are going to let the, the advertisers purely dictate the content on the radio. We just happen to be in a very lucky spot in western Montana where so many of the advertisers want to advertise within so many of the things that we hold in high priority, whether that's in-depth conversations about the world of business and sports like this, the business angle, or you know, high school sports and just the, you yeah. know, exposure for high school kids. I find that very worthwhile. And then if people also do and they want to pay for that, that's a lot more applicable. It, you do get into some weird things when you're talking about covering huge business or government entities. And, and then your content is being dictated by the advertisers. That's where it gets a little bit more hairy. Yeah. When the con conflict of interest becomes explicit, right? Sure, that right. is where you've got these problems. When an advertiser wants to put their thumb on the scale of what gets covered and how it gets covered. You know, that doesn't occur as often in sports. Right. But you can imagine a scenario in, in which it, it does. I mean, look at what just happened at ESPN with all <laughs> you these, led me right to it. With all of these layoffs. Um, you know, Jeff Van Gundy is a, num a name that kind of came to mind. Jeff Van Gundy is, I think, a fantastic analyst. I mean, you have to sort of accept, accept his gruff style, but you're getting totally. insight that is is spot on in many ways or who knows if it's spot on but it's 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 certainly it's, more insightful than a lot of the other people that are in that same position and grounded in deep experience yeah, right? exactly he's been a coach at the highest level yes and operated within the league for many years however there's rumors that adam silver doesn't like the guy doesn't like sure. his take on the coverage so you know espn is trying they pay a lot of money to get the nba's coverage and the nba is, is an important part partner does Adam Silver have influence on who covers the games, that who, who ESPN deploys? And that might not be necessarily writing the script that ESPN uses when they produce the games, but 
just choosing the people in the booth has a large influence on how those games are portrayed and covered and communicated to the fans. No doubt about it. The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications here on uh, Nuanas Now. There was 20-plus layoffs at ESPN National, and um, I, I immediately thought, oh, wow, most of these people are going to land on their feet. But then I thought there's sort of like three categories here. There's, there's, I, I think that someone like Susie Colbert, she's been around so long that if she wants to continue to work, I think she can. And if she doesn't, she that that's also fine. She's sort of the, the, one, the one of a kind in this group. Yeah. Van Gundy, I don't know where he lands because his skill is very specific. Mm-hmm. But then someone like Todd McShay, okay, Todd McShay's been breaking down the NFL draft. He's sort of been like Mel Kuyper Jr. for the last 15 years or whatever. Mel Kuyper Jr. Jr.? Right, right. He Exactly. He <laughs> he he replicated his career and says, I'm going to be the next Mel Kuyper and then basically worked alongside Mel Kuyper forever. But they're certainly not his. I mean, if you want to go find Todd McShay's draft breakdowns, he could have a, his own website and his own podcast, and Todd McShay will be just fine. I thought the same thing with guys like uh, Jalen Rose or Keyshawn John, the athlete guys, if they want, they can find a new platform and they'll be just fine. But it's sort of interesting the way that uh, sort of this all breaks down. There's multiple categories of how these people might land on their feet or not. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, ESPN is kind of not necessarily the only game in town, but the biggest fish, right? Yeah. And so how much of a market is is there for these people that they've spun off that were was talent that was probably getting paid at the top of their their market potential are those people i mean these are high level people most of them and you know, probably with that comes with some ego mm-hmm. you know are the likes of Steve Young and Jalen Rose and these other high profile names that have been used to sort of having market power for a long period of time are they going to be how are they going to do in, in, right. in, in a place where maybe it's it's a buyer's market and not a seller's market? We'll sort of see. And then who has deep enough pockets? I mean, right. Fox Sports, maybe. Although, you know, one ripple of this, too, is like, where is the money coming from and where is, it's go- where is it going? I mean, ESPN just wrote a giant check to Pat McAfee. Totally. Right? So they've gone big into the sort of podcast space. And the terrestrial cable space is maybe an area where they've... Um, you know, they're they're making cuts, so it's not necessarily that hey revenues are down. We got to cut across the board. Mm-hmm. Like they've made mm-hmm. some trade offs here that maybe signal a change in um, where they think their revenue is going to be coming from and where they will invest in the future. It's hard. It's hard to predict. It's also uh, sort of this full circle because several of the people that were involved in in layoffs previously, Ryan Rossillo, Dan Levitard, Bonnie Jones, they all come to mind. They all started wildly successful podcasts, which then created competition secondarily for ESPN in the podcast space, which is why they had to go get Pat McAfee, who's one of the top podcasters in the world, to sort of combat those guys. Yeah, I mean, ESPN is kind of in a similar position to the New York Times in the sense that they can kind of sit back and watch how things unfold. Yeah. And respond and make investments uh, after they can see a little bit of where the puck is going. Um, now, you have to be you have to be savvy enough to pull that off at the right price. Like if you're in the business of following trends and overpaying to follow those trends, like if they overpaid for Pat McAfee, that'll come back and bite them in the end. Sure. Um, so if you can, if you can sort of catch trends at the right moment and maybe get in at break even or a little bit below market value on the front end that sets you up for success but that's that's a um that's a difficult skill set particularly when you're pivoting from being a bit of a a leader in innovation over the course of the history of the 
the company. Um, but now they're they're in the they're in this such a big big position that it's it's a different kind of business skill set that you have to have to. Uh, to thrive in that environment. It's also so interesting because it's so, uh, just in terms of the radio part of this, the radio and podcast sort of overlap. We've seen such a rise in on-demand media. Yeah. That's why we put such a high priority on making this show into a podcast. I know that there's a bunch of you out there right now that are listening to this on the live radio. I love that you're doing that. We well, really, I mean, we're recording this. Th- that's so exactly right. On. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We are recording this at Studio 49 right here on the University of Montana campus. That's exactly right. So, we're sort of doing this uh, a repurposing of on-demand that then you listen to live, but then that you can also listen to later. It, it's very fascinating. But I, I do think that being in a, a small market like we are now, so many people tune into this show because you're going to hear stuff that no one else talks about. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I think that the national talk radio has run into. You still got the aces like Mike Greenberg. Greeny's as good as it gets. He's That's why he's the highest paid guy in sports talk radio history. Freddie Coleman, he never wanted to move to the morning drive time. He always wants to be in the evenings because he's just Mr. Cool. And that's what he's got. But I also think that ESPN has said, okay, we're just not going to really invest in sort of some of these other time slots because we know we can actually invest bigger in on-demand and then people that are just driving around during the day, they're just going to put the podcast of what they want to listen to yeah, on. Yeah. And, and what is the role of the studio analyst, right, in the right. terrestrial cable delivery mechanism? I mean, you watch like... I don't even know what it's called anymore. Is it still called NFL Game Day or what? There's College Game Day. There's the yeah, NFL Today. There's a NFL billion. Today, right? Yeah. And it's like these kind of retired players in yeah. increasingly ridiculous suits and ties mm-hmm. and increasingly ridiculous sets. Like I don't right. need to see these like forty year old dudes trying to recreate the routes that we're going to see in right. the game, right. and they're trying to right. do it in their suits in the studio without like. You know, breaking a hip or something. Now I'm being a little ageist. I, I admit that, but like, what is the the ongoing demand for that? Am I gonna? I'm already gonna you know, a live sporting event, a live NFL game, an NBA game is something I will rearrange my schedule for, or something sure. a lot of people will rearrange their schedules for. How much longer are we going to rearrange our schedules to watch the pregame and postgame? They're trying to like stretch out that piece of demand that 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 sort of finite resource where people will arrange their schedules when you know in response to what ESPN has decided I think that window is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter particularly when you can access that type of analysis on your own terms on your own device where you want to be maybe you want to do it maybe yeah when you want to do it is kind of the key that's the, the the conundrum that I think that they're all facing it used to be the choices were so limited so everybody that's watching the NFL is watching the same NFL. They're watching the same show. That's all. Now people, sports fans have just gotten way smarter. And they, yeah. they, just, they just know all the, if you really want, I mean, I coming from somebody that watches two to three NFL games per Sunday, for sure, and probably four to five full games per week, I don't ever watch. I, I couldn't even tell you my analysis on any of the in-studio people because I don't even watch it. Sure. I'll do something productive while listening to a podcast and right up until the game kicks. I can totally. give you all sorts of analysis about play-by-play and, and color, but not anything that's in studio. So you and wonder if that's just a dying breed. And, it, and it's not necessarily a dying breed because of something about it being inherently bad. I think the alternatives have just gotten so more so so much superior at this point. Yeah. And, and people, I think that they, 
They love if you love it, you love in-depth stuff, and if you love in-depth stuff, you love it when you want it, mm-hmm. not necessarily ten minutes before the game. Oh, I already listened to all this stuff yesterday, or you know, when I was on my hike this morning, or whatever it might be. We see that happening with broadcast feeds as well. Like now, you can watch a feed, but listen to the commentary and the play-by-play That's through right. uh, you know somebody else's feed. So you can mix and match your streams of, of media here in, in ways that um, just give the consumer so much more power. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Justin Engel joining us, coming to you from Studio 49 here at the Gallagher Business Building on the University of Montana campus. It's the Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, a couple other ones that are our hot-button issues of the moment. Sure. Uh, EA Sports announced the return of their NCAA football game, which was wildly popular, but then it hit a, a huge snag because they basically tried to make it a, a one-payment place. They said, we're going to give every student athlete that's represented in this game 500 bucks that actually became very murky very fast because then it brings up this debate of what is the name image and likeness of each person worth if everybody's getting paid the same this game got taken off the shelf because of the the now famous lawsuit led by ed o'bannon the former ucla player who basically sued the ncaa and that started this nil stuff uh, rolling but it, it, it's fascinating that this is a sort of a, it's sort of a microcosm of of the NIL issue in itself. Yeah, in many ways, like EA Sports probably tried to um, capture a little bit of the old regime sure. by just throwing a pittance at the athletes, like right. five hundred dollars per athlete. <laughs> right. Like that, that's a rounding error error to. Right. Um, you know, a company of the size of EA Sports and the revenue potential that a game like this has. So they probably just said, like, what's the closest kind of number we can um, use to approximate the zero dollars we were paying before, but right. can no longer sort of legally or ethically um, persist in doing? So it seems like, yeah, their bluff was called in a way. Yeah. And market forces are going to be. Um, allowed to flourish in this in this space question there is though with so much moving around in college athletics you know it's it's one thing to produce a season of live football right it's another thing to produce a facsimile of that right. that is an enduring product that um, doesn't necessarily have the, the the live demand that the the broadcast that real life actually has. Is name, image, and likeness a sustainable investment because the players are transferring, they're moving around? You know, is there such thing as? Does it make sense to make that kind of investment if you're right. EA Sports? I'd be skeptical. So this might be a bullet that they that they dodged um, without even realizing it. When you're a kid, you play this game, and all the athletes were just listed by their numbers, not sure. their names. But they were sort of renditions of real players. So you'd start your little dynasty, and you'd name all the players on your team, and then you'd be going against the anonymous, no-name players on the other team. Now you're, you have the, they had the opportunity to implement names, but if they were to actually do this accurately, it actually could be a comprehensive study of what the NIL value would be for all of the athletes' that, individual Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. It could be like a... a, a, a a simulation of a right. market, right? In a way, but that would just take so long because you talk about 242 teams of 100 plus guys. Yeah. You'd have to do a, a systematic evaluation of what the NIL value of each one of these guys is in order to be able to pay them if it is a you know sort of a fair free market. I think the only way it would work is if 
we paid them in Bitcoin. <laughs> it always comes back uh, to the crypto. Justin Dangle here on Nuanas Now. Uh, last one, I didn't get a chance to read the Athletic article that you sent along about the uh, this, this is sort of in-depth article about uh, the live and PGA mergers that we've been talking about in the world of pro golf. Any any broad, maybe we'll dive into it more next time, but any broad impressions from it or any uh, broad thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, this sounds like it was the sort of the thing that came together at the last minute with a very small number of people in the room without a lot of oversight. And, you know, that kind of reeks of having the potential for some uh, malfeasance is maybe a strong word, but but maybe a not enough due diligence. Mm. And we're already seeing that with this. There's a um, board member of the PGA that just resigned early. His tenure was, or his term on the board was supposed to be ending later this year. Yeah. But he left early, and that that's not something you see often. Like board positions for professional sports leagues and companies in general are. are are kind of plush, like they're sure. you get paid a lot to not yes, do that much right. work. You show up to a meeting every quarter and you know, maybe say your opinion, maybe not. Um, so it seems like a bit pretty red, red flag to see somebody resign from a board post of the PGA Tour early. Um, so yeah, I think there's still a lot to be to be known. That article is long, it's descriptive. I encourage readers to go check it out. There was nothing that was like, um, there was no like smoking gun. Sure. In the piece, I think there's more to know, and um, it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out. It's still a thing too early to tell. Yeah, it's I'm just so much battling with how much do I actually want to know, right? Because yeah, there's th- that. Th- th- I mean, that's the thing is, certainly we are all slightly complicit in you know our, our enabling's the wrong word, but but supportive things, right? Sure. Would me not watching the PGA or the next Masters or whatever make an impact? I mean, sure, if everybody stopped watching the Masters, it would certainly make an impact. That's the craziest part about this acquisition, though, is that the people that are are behind a lot of the money don't care about the money, right? I, I guess what I'm saying is if nobody showed up to the Super Bowl for a couple years in a row, then the, that the people would question if the Super Bowl had long-term validity. Yeah. I have a feeling that if not one person showed up to the Masters, they'd still have the Masters because the money isn't as a big of a consequence. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could make that argument that for the Saudi government, sure. the Sovereign Wealth Fund, yeah. the money isn't as consequential. Though, you know, Masters is the wrong example because that's actually outside of all this. But let's say like the PGA Championship or something. I think when it comes down to it, the PGA is not just not that great a brand. Right. It doesn't have much brand power in the marketplace. Mm. And that's interesting. The fact that like no matter how big of a star Patrick Mahomes is, the NFL's still a bigger brand. Whereas there's many players on the PGA that are significantly bigger brands than the actual PGA, right? I really don't care if an event is PGA or not. I <laughs> that's care. right. I right, care right. if Tiger Woods is there. That's whoever, right. Whoever, that, whoever Rory the, McElroy, whoever it might be. Yeah. yeah. I, I am and that the part of that's just the nature of an individual sport as well but the PGA is just not a great brand like it doesn't have the sort of cachet and it I mean when you hear the the term PGA Tour like what associations do you have does you associate it with excellence do you associate it with elite right. well produced ethical I, I don't know any good brand sure. when you name that brand like if I say Hallmark yeah right, right. sincerity is the first word that comes yep. to your mind yep. if I say Apple you're going to think innovation, sure. whatever. Right. These right. iconic brands have these instantaneous associations. That what that's what makes them so powerful. PGA is devoid of that, 
And so That's there's sweet. not so much outrage that the brand kind of essentially disappeared. Right. Right? Well, if as long as I can watch, you know, the, the players I want to watch, I don't really care. It's a little unsavory, I guess, wow. for some folks that the Saudi money is is funding it, but it's messy to kind of follow that narrative yeah. and it requires a little bit of effort on the part of a consumer, effort that they don't want to invest. They just want to turn on the TV and see Rory or, or Tiger or Bruce or whoever. Were, whoever. I, had, I had never thought about it like that. that that's like if, if the Japanese baseball league just took over Major League Baseball, or if all of a sudden the Euro League merged with the NBA, it, it's interesting to put it in perspective. You're right; people don't seem to really care as much because the PGA is not exclusively American, and it's not like you say, sort of lacking brand uh, solidification. Yeah, I mean, if the okay, so just take the sort of size of the investment off the table for a moment. If if the Saudi sovereign wealth fund bought the NFL, right. There would be outrage in the streets. For sure. Right? There would be protests. And uh, similar to when... Just wait till they buy the SEC, folks. Yeah, maybe that's coming. (laughs) But similar to when that Super League in soccer tried to form a couple of years ago. Yep. Those were such iconic brands that had such deep emotional connections to their fans that the fans rose up and said, no, no, this is not happening. Now, they might have pushed it through... um, they might have pushed it through regardless of that obstruction mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. the fans. But I, I think, yeah, my basic analysis is like the PGA just doesn't have an, enough brand value to be that resistant and have the fans r- behind them. So they probably just rolled and said, well, we can't fight this. We got to take the money and run. Justin Angle, the business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. I know you got to run, but uh, just plug this upcoming event real quick. David Dame, David James Duncan, excuse me. Uh, I know a very well known writer around these parts. Wrote the River Y among many of his great works, but somebody that I think uh, certainly people in Western Montana know about. But uh, he's he's given a talk here upcoming at the university soon. Uh, not at the university. Thanks for for asking me to plug this. Yeah, David James Duncan has his first novel coming out in sixteen years by the name of Sunhouse. It is a magnificent piece of work. And he will be um, he will be at the Wilma Theater mm, of course. on August 11th. The book comes out on August 8th. And my colleague at Montana Public Radio, Lauren Korn, the host of The Right Question, she and I will be interviewing David um, live on stage. And then David will do a reading with music from Jeffrey Foucault, a renowned singer-songwriter. So yeah, that event, I think, will be one of those that's a, the sort of unique environment that Missoula is and that Montana is can can propel. So check out uh, the event August 11th. You can get your tickets at logjampresents.com. We will uh, certainly remind you, as that is uh, a little less than a month away, but uh, that's coming up, and that should be uh, very fun. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com to see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business.